Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup, deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Arrow and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm practicing my, my duck, you know, dodge, dip, and, and, and duck. Um, I've been really getting into sports lately and specifically okay. uh, competitive dodgeball. You can, uh, it, it, it's on ESPN 8, the okay. Ocho. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, I, I stay up at night watching ESPN 8. So, yeah, yeah. I would love to see you practicing your dodgeball. You're dodging in your house, getting, watching the TV. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so, John, uh, man, vSphere 8 came out while we were at VMware Explore, uh, and so many announcements. That was certainly one of the big ones. And I knew, you know, we've already covered vSAN 8 with Pete Keeler, but I knew it was going to be, uh, yeah, it, I've been looking forward to getting this gentleman on to give us some of the dirty details around vSphere 8. And so joining us this week on Virtually Speaking is Phelan O'Leary. Phelan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for having me, guys. This is my uh, my podcast debut. Yeah, I'm absolutely. So excited, excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, you're actually on Ken Wernerberg's team. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Been on Ken's team for uh, almost a year now, uh, but I've been at VMware for over eleven years. So I've been grew up with vSphere nearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. John, John, he's one of those uh, success stories that have paid their dues in the world of support for many years, have yeah. learned to know the product inside and out, uh, and finally uh, got to the point where they're, they're in, in a, a glorious job like tech marketing. So welcome. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fun place to be. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Absolutely. So yeah, as, as we said at the top, there's been so many announcements. Uh, vSphere 8 was certainly one of the bigger ones, made the general session. Ragu, it was one of the first things out of Ragu's mouth for this general session. And there were many different features in that announcement. So why don't we just talk about a few of them? I know uh, vSphere with Tanzu uh, has some updates. I know that the, uh, you know, we heard a new term, the emergence of the DPU. I want to talk a little bit about that. Just give us an idea of what that is. And, uh, and also lifecycle management, so many other updates inside of vSphere 8. But Phelan, uh, where, where, where can we start? Yeah. Um, so before we get to the, I suppose, to the exciting stuff like the DPU and that and that new stuff, um, I'll just touch on some of the improvements that are coming down the line with vSphere 8. So there's a couple of a couple of new things coming in the area of vMotion and vMotion. You know, we take it for granted. Um, you probably use it on a daily basis, but there's two um, important new things coming down the line with vMotion. And the first thing is. The ability for applications or, or VMs to be aware that a vMotion is going to take place. So sometimes you have VMs that are very sensitive to that stun time that VMs that happens to a VM when you vMotion it. And that can be compounded if the VM is particularly large as well. And certain applications like telco applications, cluster applications, some databases don't like that stun time at all. So what we're introducing is what we're calling in-app notifications. And what happens there is, you'll, you know, you'll initiate a vMotion like normal, but the vMotion won't actually take effect right away. 
there'll be a notification sent into the guest OS and it'll interact with VMware tools. And you'll be able to code a, a script or code your application to react to that notification. It could say, okay, I, I know that the there's a vMotion has been triggered. I want to, you know, maybe stop services or quiesce my application, failover, do something that can prepare the application so that it can better respond to, to the vMotion event. And once the application does what it needs to do, it'll send a notification back and the vMotion will continue as normal. So it's, it's there to improve the interoperability between these uh, very small number of uh, or use cases of applications. Just don't play 100% nice with vMotion today. Mm. Well, and um, that's, that's going to be like kind of the weird ultra latency sensitive uh, in-memory databases or maybe some of the like telco, yeah. telco, like SIP brokers, those guys get real weird. If like, hey, if it's my jitter buffer is only, you know, 60 milliseconds exactly. or something. Um, yeah, or, that, or voice voice over IP applications as well is another use case that, um, you know, you don't want to call to drop or something like that. So because of the, the B-Motion Suntech. And is this something that you, you, that it's just, it's an intelligent, it, it, it already knows what to look for, or is this something where there are parameters that are set to, to help with this? Yeah, there's, there's parameters that need to be set and the, I suppose the application needs to be developed to, to understand these notifications. So it could be built into a, a custom application, um, or you could have a standalone, I suppose, dedicated little, little micro application that's intercepting these vMotion alerts and then that forwards on to your to your full application that that will do the work to to prepare for that vMotion event um, and there's there's timeout values as well um, so if the application doesn't do what it needs to do in a certain period of time the vMotion will just still continue so it, it it's not designed to block vMotions from happening indefinitely and that timeout is configurable user configurable at a host level or you can even do it at a at a vm level as well if you have a particularly sensitive application ah. so th this reminds me of the the pre-freeze and post-thaw uh scripts you could set within uh, vadp before like backups hit oh, yeah. so i assume there's a similar framework there so i mean this is this is new but the whole concept of a hey something you know there's about to be a potential hit let's take some proactive actions like you say quiesce something um, this isn't yeah. a new construct in some ways. It's just being able to have awareness of it for vMotion, which is vMotion historically was a, a hundred times less impactful than say a VDP snapshot. Um, yeah. But you know, we've come a long way on on both those, I guess. Exactly. As I said, it's it's there's a very very small number of applications that you know get impacted by vMotion. And one of the other things as well to help with this is when you do have this turned on on a virtual machine. It's um, it's removed from DRS automatic load balancing, so DRS won't automatically try and move these sensitive. Ah, VMs you don't get like a race well. condition. You won't get yeah, a race no. condition of new placements being placed there because that host is trying to drain. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it it will let you still put a host into maintenance mode, but DRS isn't going to try and move these particularly sensitive VMs around if they've got the in-app notification turned on. Ah, okay. So this is the other direction. That makes sense. So it's yeah. it's going to do rather than like an anti affinity rule. It's a please don't vmotion me unless you have to unless the, the exactly. full is triggered. Yeah. Sort of an opt out. Yeah. Yeah, and so the other cool thing in in vmotion that will benefit just vmotion in general is what we're calling this unified data transport protocol. So 
I don't know if you've ever noticed um, that when you do a when you do a motion or a storage motion in particular of a part on VM, it's it's nice and it's nice and fast. And that's because when the VM's part on the disk, even the disk migration will use the vMotion protocol. But if a VM is part off, or if a part on VM has a snapshot, basically any cold disk will end up getting copied with NFC. And NFC is slow compared to vMotion. Yeah, so NFC didn't we'll, use the new TCP stack, right? Uh, it's it's even ir- irrelevant to the TCP stack. It's just it's just a slow protocol that caps out at around I think it's about one point three gigabits per second. Whereas oh, vMotion, that, that, that kind of made sense if it was powered off back in the day because there weren't as many QoS options, and so to a certain degree, yeah. not increasing the top line prevented noisy neighbor issues. But like you say, since it's being used for certain storage motion scenarios and other things, that mm. that's problematic. And the vMotion protocol, you know, the theoretical peak performance, you know, I can't do this speed now in my lab is 80 gigabits per second. Um, I don't, I just don't have that. <laughs> that is that, is that like multiple VM kernel ports? Is that, is that it, per it, VM it kernel port be, or multiple? Or? It, I, I think it must be. It's, it's kind of the, the peak performance that vMotion could do in, the, you know, absolute ideal circumstances. So the unified data or unified data transport protocol essentially combines the two. When we're doing a cold migration of a disk now with UDT, it essentially uses the NFC protocol as kind of the control mechanism, um, but it'll offload the data transfer, the data transfer ah. to the vMotion protocol. So you'll get a huge increase in speed when you're doing migrations of cold, cold disks. And the simple way to, to turn this on is all you have to do is enable the provisioning service. On a, VMO, on a VM kernel port. Um, so this could either be your existing vMotion VM kernel interface, or you can create a new one. It doesn't really matter. Um, but even in my own lab, I'd, you know, running relatively old hardware at this stage, I was seeing like a 5x increase in the speed, going from about a transfer rate of about one gigabit per second, turned on uh, UDT or turned on the provisioning protocol, and it went up to six gigabits per second. So I saw more than a five x increase um, in in my slow lab. I'm sure in you know production environments oh, yeah. you're going to see even greater um, return. So that's, no, that's cool. That's... That'll benefit ever. That'll benefit everything. That'll benefit all storage remotion operations. Well, yeah, and there's some clone operations and other things that I think also use NFC. So particularly mm-hmm. some VDI workflows and things like that. Yeah, that's that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, so they're they're big the big vMotion things that are coming down the line. Um, the other just small thing that I'll touch on before we get into the meteor stuff is we're really improving our ability to deploy Windows 11 at scale. So obviously Windows 11 isn't new; um, it's been out a couple of years now. But one of the you know the strict requirements for it was the the TPM device, um, and now we have that option of vTPM. It's been around. In, Six, six, seven. Um, but there's all these different caveats. You know, TPM should be unique per OS instance, at least in the physical world, they're, they're all this unique. So we had all these kind of little caveats. Um, but with vSphere 8, we now have this cool option when we're deploying Windows 11 VMs from templates or we're cloning them. We have a very simple option to either keep the existing TPM if we need to keep it for whatever reason. Um, but the best practice if you're deploying Windows 11 at scale will be to replace the TPM. So we'll automatically replace the vTPM device on all these template deployments. So each Windows VM will have a unique TPM device 
like it would in the physical world as well. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes more sense. This this kind of reminds me, and you're welcome to groan of uh, Sid cloning back in the day. Of, <laughs> there was there, like there was like one weird security quirk of like the local admins could basically cross attack each other if you didn't clone the Sid. But no, I'm I'm sure having a unique certificate store. Um, hmm. I guess you would probably need to keep that cloned if you're using like BitLocker or some you know awful ingest encryption system. But yeah, otherwise, it, net new is going to be superior. I mean, this even kind of follows Microsoft's best practice when it comes to Windows 11 VMs as well. We've worked with them in the background as well to, to come up with this solution. You know, the, the guidance would be that if you're creating a Windows 11 template that you're going to deploy net new VMs from, the best practice would be to, you know, configure that VM not to use any TPM-reliant services at that point. So save your gold image without BitBlocker turned on or, or right. those sort of things and turn them on after template deployment. Um, because otherwise you do run into that catch-22 where if you, if you save the gold image with BitLocker or something enabled, you need to keep copying that TPM device. And then you have right. a, a fleet of VMs that all have, a, have the same TPM device. And that's not really best practice um, either. Um, yeah, I'm just going to use vSAN encryption and not yeah. mess with in-gas <laughs> encryption. Like it's a thousand times easier to use. So, but yeah, I mean, BitLocker is just one uh, one example of a, of a TPM feature. There, I'm sure there there are others. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah of course. Well, it. you're copying a key manager, like a temp server would be another case. Yeah, sure. yeah. So they're kind of the the, the smaller things. Um, where I think the theme of this release is is really going is in kind of the, the hardware acceleration space. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're ramping up our support and our compatibility for, for GPUs, um, adding the ability to have more GPUs per, per ESXi, more vGPUs per, per virtual machine. We're simplifying how those can be consumed by VMs with things called device groups. Basically, that's... Um, it could be multiple GPUs or a GPU and a NIC that are a, a kind of a, a hardware pair and they can be uh, absorbed into a VM as a single unit. So it just really helps in the M ML and uh, AI space to consume all these new hardware accelerators that are coming down the line. But in the, in the same kind of theme is what you mentioned at the start, Pete, is the DPU the data processing yeah. unit. Um, so we've been working in the background. This was, um, this was announced, I think, two years ago as Project Monterey. Um, so, you know, if you Google Project Monterey and, you know, avoid getting it confused with Apple's Monterey OS, yeah, um, exactly. you'll, find, you'll find our announcements. You know, Kit Colbert, I think, had some blogs out there a couple of years ago. And essentially, we've done a lot of partnering with, uh, with hardware partners like NVIDIA, Sando and things like that. And they almost uh, tout these DPUs as being like data centers on a chip. Um, they're, they're little compute units, you know, they're PCI style devices, uh, little compute units on them, memory, there's a little bit of storage, there's NICs, and they also can go as you know, people might call them smart NICs as well. But basically there's these they're these new type of hardware accelerators and we're going to use those and we're putting ESXi on them and that's what we're calling our distributed services engine or vSphere distributed services engine and the first um, the first of many to come features that are going to get offloaded to these DPUs and vSphere is our networking functionality so with with NSX leveraging some of that networking processing off the x86 
CPU onto the DPU, giving you better performance and freeing up the x86 of resources for, for your workload. So you're getting a, a performance benefit on both sides. Okay, so you're actually, as the name says, you're actually distributing a service off of the, the core of vSphere onto another piece of hardware to, to leverage exactly. some, some higher performance uh, and to make some room for, for other applications that need the existing performance. Absolutely. I mean, as, as ESXi has gotten, you know, bigger and better, and we have all these other things like, you know, vSAN and NSX uh, in the picture, you know, the, there's less and less resources for your actual workloads when you just have, let's say, your management stack and your infrastructure up and running. You know, we're starting to eat into some of this, uh, some of this compute a little bit. Yeah. So that's one of the avenues that the DPU is looking to solve is to offload those management services, NSX services, in the future storage services and things like that to the DPU, giving them, them better performance at the DPU but also freeing up the resources for your VMs. Hmm. Well, and this is something that I know some of the vSphere 8 features are helping support roll these compute latency sensitive applications. But if you look at some of the most persnickety, you know, virtual appliances you ever deployed, they were firewalls and load balancers. They would demand 100% exactly. CPU, latency sensitive flag. You know, they occasionally, and I'll, you know, certain networking vendors who I shall shame you know, on Twitter, not here, uh, <laughs> would demand core pinning, which is incredibly stupid, but like mm. you would end up with these insane requirements that severely impacted your consolidation ratios and just caused headaches in general. And being able to yeet those services over to those ARM Cortexes who have, you know, in some cases, FPGA coprocessors and mm. can have no problem doing firewalling, you know, of 200. I remember like thinking of, of an NSX VM that can handle 40 gigs was massive. Now, you know, being able to shove that onto a DPU that can handle 200 gig um, and not touch my my host CPUs and do anything unnatural to them, like that's that's a big win. Exactly, yeah, and it's it's going to start with just the network uh, traffic offloading, the the firewalling, and some of the enhanced security is going is going to come later. Um, so you know, it's you know walk before we run um, sort of yeah. thing with, with, with the DPUs, but we will eventually get there where, you know, every, every host almost will have a DPU and a lot of the management, the infrastructure services, vSAN services, NSX services will be running on the DPU. Like the, the vendors have even suggested themselves calling it a, a data center on chip. So Phelan, um, when you when you say ESXi, one of the things that first comes to my mind, uh, you know, as an administrator, it's like, oh, wait, so I have to update that ESXi host, you know? So is this, you do. When, I, when we're talking lifecycle management, I know VMware, you know, has vSphere lifecycle manager. Um, is this something that is, it works with VLCM or, or do I have to figure out a new way to patch these, uh, these uh, DPS? Yeah, that, that's, that's a great question. It was one of my first kind of things when I, when I thought about this, are we doubling the number of ESXi's that, uh, that someone has to manage in, a, in an infrastructure? And the short answer really is no. Um, so if you're installing this day one, you know, you pop the ISO over ILO or IDRAC or whatever, and you boot your installer, it'll just show up as a checkbox. It'll recognize the DPU, you hit the checkbox, and it'll install the same version of ESXi onto the DPU and onto the x86 compute layer as well. And when you're doing updates with VLCM, it just sees that. It sees that the host has a DPU. It's one remediation. You know, you remediate your host as normal. It knows it's got a DPU and it'll always keep those versions in lockstep. 
So you patch from, you know, you go 8.0 to 8.0 update one, the DPU will get update one and it'll always stay in sync. So there's no extra hmm. lifecycle management to do. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's always a headache and it's always a consideration, especially as people, the, the larger the environments get, you know, the more that they have to manage and, and try to balance. You know, this seems like it could have the potential to add many more, but I'm glad to see that this is all just incorporated <laughs> inside of VLC. Well, and it, it builds on all the other work. Like if you're still running an old vSphere release, you may not be aware, but the, you know, being able to pre-stage along with a uh, quick boot, particularly if you're just doing a vSphere or driver hit, as well as other optimizations to the boot cycle. I mean, I, we patched a cluster recently for a security patch. And I mean, each host was back up um, because it can do the quick boot and, you know, skip EFI and all that. It was back up in a couple of minutes. Like it's this air. This era of, oh, I've got to update my host. I've got a plan for like a multi-day adventure. Like that's that's done. Um, and it's getting exactly, better. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and there's some some enhancements in vSphere eight as well that that you touched on as well, like staging the the cluster patches as well is 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 almost a huge win in itself. And I know Update Manager used to be able to do that in the past, but it's great to see VLCM be able to do it now, where you know you could stage all your your actual payload down to your sixty four node cluster or however large it is. And that's all before you actually hit the remediate button. Before that would have to go down to each individual host during the maintenance mode period right. of the host. And, you know, that's a lot of time et up with a host being stuck in maintenance mode when all it's doing is downloading some, some payload. So it's great to be able to stage those now again uh, down to your clusters. And we're also bringing back parallel remediation in BLCM, where it can remediate multiple hosts in parallel. Um, and this is actually really cool for, will be really cool for greenfield sites. If you, you know, they come off the rack, they're at a particular version that got installed at the factory, you'll be able to upgrade a, an entire cluster in minutes. Um, if, you know, there's no more work, there's no workloads running on it. You don't have to worry about maintenance mode, cycling through, put everything into maintenance mode, parallel the entire 32, 64, 96 node cluster, and it'll be all done in, in minutes. So that'll be, that'll be really cool as well um, for VLCM. Yeah, for sure. I'm assuming uh, vSAN, because it has dependency on storage in the individual compute, is that still a linear uh, upgrade for VLCM or is there any change there? There is some, there is some, I can't remember now actually off the top of my head, but there is some allowance for parallel remediation with vSAN. Um, parallel remediation isn't um, fully automated in the sense that the administrator needs to decide, okay, how many hosts am I going to put into maintenance mode? So if I got 10 hosts, the administrator can go, okay, I, I know I can afford to put four at a time into maintenance mode. And the admin does that themselves. Um, so in the case of a vSAN cluster, you have to, you'll again have to pre-prepare your hosts into maintenance mode and then parallel remediate all those those hosts. So the parallel remediation only happens on hosts that, that are pre-staged into maintenance mode. Okay. Um, we are, the, I suppose the reason, um, maybe a little bit of inside baseball, the reason that um, it's a manual process right now is we have some work to figure out with DRS to be more clever about putting multiple hosts into maintenance mode to avoid any sort of VM ping pong as one host goes into maintenance mode and then another one and, and things like that. So 
there's going to be improvements on that uh, front as well in the future. Good, good to hear it. So uh, moving along, uh, any news in the in the Tanzu space with vSphere with Tanzu? Uh, yes, yes. There's a couple of cool things coming down the line in vSphere with Tanzu. Um, I suppose the the main thing is that we're we're taking this kind of you know the, since since we introduced vSphere with Tanzu and we had um, VMware integrated containers and that. Merged into the Tanzu space and things like that. We had all these multiple different TKG offerings. Um, so we're consolidating that down into one unified offering, you know, TKG 2.0, it can be colloquially called, but it's essentially one offering that will run everywhere, be it in your vSphere on prem, in the cloud, things like that. So there's we don't have multiple TKG instances and offerings to, to maintain or customers to decide between anymore, which is which is great. Um, the other uh, major feature we're bringing out is workload availability zones. And these essentially allow us to define vSphere clusters as availability zones for our TKG instances. So we'll support up to three zones uh, initially, and this will allow for two things. It'll allow for a stretched supervisor cluster. So today in vSphere 7, a supervisor cluster is siloed into one vSphere cluster. And then, right. you, you know, if you, if you wanted to have TKGs on multiple vSphere clusters, you needed three supervisor clusters or so. So we'll allow it for a stretched supervisor cluster, stretch it across three plus three vSphere clusters. I have to say the word cluster so many times when we're talking about this. And then with that stretched supervisor cluster, you can deploy Tanzu Kubernetes grid clusters also stretched. So you're stretching everything across uh, three vSphere clusters for increased availability and maximizing all your available resources as well. So to, to be clear, when you say stretched, you don't mean like a traditional stretched cluster up to five or 10 milliseconds away. You mean like three racks within one millisecond. Yeah. Region, right? Yes. That, yeah, um, that's a good differentiation. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe mean... like different buildings on the same campus <laughs> and you have an EMP mesh, but you need, you need full connectivity between all three racks of each other. Yeah. I, I'm not talking, you know, stretched in, in that sense or a visa. Not London to Amsterdam or anything. Yeah. No, no. It's, it's more of a, a, a logical, stretch it's essentially taking your three vSphere clusters you know cluster one cluster two cluster three and just making them as a as, as a pool that can become one big giant vSphere Rotanzu supervisor cluster so i guess a couple of benefits there one you can scale past the you know 6496 cluster yeah. limitation and i say cluster limitation like we're talking about at this point you know you can shove like a petabyte of ram in each cluster doing <laughs> at that scale but yeah. let's say you are i don't know you know some intergalactic app scaler and you need you could scale to multiple clusters but also more practically you might say okay one of these clusters is a different vendor. Uh, I'm doing patching of firmware and drivers and vSphere and really boring stuff on the underlay. I'm going to patch one cluster at a time. So that way, if that patch goes bad, I hit a bad driver issue or something, or something happens during life cycle. You know, I have that kind of like what we did with pods with with uh, Horizon in that regard. I've got a, an extra kind of landing place. Yeah, it's and when it, it just gives a, an extra level of availability as well. Like you said, when you're doing maintenance or if there's a particular outage in, in, a, in a rack or something like that, you've still got 
your your application that is running in these TKG clusters isn't going to be impacted. It's just it's layers upon layers upon layers of, of different availability um, the whole way down. Yeah, for sure. I've- I'm going to have to go dig in the notes and figure out like how much isolation I can put there. Like, can I cross layer three boundaries between those and things like that? But this is, this is cool though. Like this is a great foundational for scalable, resilient management because, you know, if you've ever worked with stretched clusters, oftentimes, and this, you know, these types of things and vplexes and all that, that whole life is you often found that the systems that managed the stretched environment were the least like natively cross-site aware resilient they required the most work you'd have to stretch layer two or do weird stuff and i like the idea of the management layer being kind of born ready for that multi multi uh zone resiliency exactly and the scalability is is also like you said the huge thing you can you know you can only scale a cluster so so much but now you'll be able to scale you know three clusters um as needed and that was that was a challenge that we saw with customers as well they'd you know they had deployed their supervisor clusters on a particular vSphere cluster and you know you know filled its capacity essentially um but they had all this other capacity in their other clusters and you know it would have been great at the time to be able to to stretch the supervisor across all those as well and just consume everything else do some hole filling between the different apps or zones and things like that no that makes sense and and while 64 or 96 maybe your cluster limit size a lot of people artificially have internal limits for very valid reasons to say hey we don't go beyond you know x number because that's a rack or we just we don't like managing clusters beyond 16 for various operational reasons and so this gives the the app team a little more resource flexibility um without necessarily having to to force unnatural things on the underlay so Good times. Yeah, ex- nice. exactly. And one of the other big asks in the Tanzu space was was around uh, authentication or identity providers. So in vSphere 7, all the authentication has to go through the vCenter single sign-on. And, you know, typically in these sort of environments, there's a, there's a pretty firm, um, I suppose, separation between the infrastructure managers or the vSphere administrators and the the developers or the DevOps folks and trying to, you know, get the the, the DevOps folks coming in to use vCenter SSO, it just <laughs> didn't always work. No, of course not. Um, so in vSphere 8 and vSphere Atanzu and TKG 2.0, we're introducing Pinniped integration. So Pinniped allows us to federate to any OIDC provider. Um, so whatever the customers are currently using today, um, Pin and Ped can will be able to integrate in with that. And it's a doesn't go through SSO whatsoever, doesn't go through vCenter. vCenter could be offline and DevOps users could still authenticate into their to their clusters and continue doing doing their work. It's a complete separation of the the authentication space from but the federation the federation is being handled by pinniped you said by pinniped yeah yeah Mm, pinniped will integrate with um with your particular idp yeah it's it's an open source it's an open source project that that vmware supports very nice well and that's that's nice and it makes a lot of sense because the vmware infrastructure layer that being able to be isolated from an identity basis from the app and the dev infrastructure layer um, that makes a lot of sense for security, for operational mm-hmm. reasons. I mean, obviously, it sounds like they don't want to be dependent on a vCenter server, which yeah, I, yeah. I, I get and I fully respect. Well, they don't want to get also, in and manage one either. They want to, It's a different world, right? Well, but also, like, just security teams like seeing separation on the underlay of, hey, these go in different directions. So that way, if there's a compromise yeah. or a stolen token, it you know, you, you don't end up owning the entire kingdom. Ex- exactly. 
Um, so that kind of that kind of wraps up the, the major temple uh, features. You know, we talked about the distributed services engine, basically data center on a chip with the DPUs. We're starting to offload the NSX and network traffic and functions to that. Um, you know, we talked about the improvements in the area of lifecycle management, parallel remediation, staging. Those in combination with things like QuickBoot are really going to improve the or suppose lessen the time spent you know doing those life cycle and maintenance uh, operations yeah um, uh, you know AIML is you know I think that's one to watch definitely in the future um, AIML is just it's taking off like a rocket ship it's you know getting into every industry um, and so we're gonna we're gonna probably see a lot more in that space you know, in, in the next couple of years as well. So definitely one, one to watch there. Um, but that coupled with the usual things like, you know, hardware version gets increased to version 20. That's needed to for a couple of different things like the um, in-app notifications that we spoke about would be motion, bring some of the new guest operating system support, increases CPU, memory, that, that, that usual stuff. Um, but yeah, and there's there's one other little little thing that you know might be interest to people in this this day and age of you know energy consumption is beast for green metrics. Um, so these will be some some new usage metrics, power usage for the system, idle usage, VM usage, and with those you'll be able to you know check your power consumption, use that data to then kind of extrapolate you know. How much energy am I using? How much is the data center costing me um, in terms of energy usage and things like that? So we've got those new metrics coming down the line and VROPS um, will be able to ingest those metrics too and give you kind of a, you know, a, a much prettier output than, the, than just the vSphere client as well. So one to watch as well, because you know energy prices seem to just be going up here anyway, at least. Yeah, no, everywhere for sure. And being able to monitor the energy and carbon emissions uh, is is definitely something that's becoming more of a requirement these days. So that's really well, cool. And the, the, the use case that I've kind of seen some excitement for that beyond the kind of the ESG typical stuff is you've got as there's more smaller embedded deployments in places that are not on traditional grids. So either IoT edge deployments, uh, really remote branch sites, you're operating on a ship. Uh, you've got a compressor station on an oil platform that has to run off diesel generators, things like that to where, you know, your your cost per watt of a VM is, you know, I may complain about power costing me 15 cents a kilowatt, <laughs> but you're looking at like, because of all the logistics of getting that fuel there in the middle of the North Sea or somewhere odd, like, okay, exactly. now it's like a dollar. So there are some, there are some customers who are going to pay attention to that, not just for, you know, their, their, their shareholder ESG reports, but actually uh, some pretty huge cost impacts. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And because I, I've supported customers that, you know, are on submarines or that they, they pack up all their, their gear and put onto a back of a truck when they're doing the, the Formula One tours or, or around Europe and the world and stuff like that. So they, they want to make sure that when they are plugged in and turned on that they're, you know, operating optimally as well in terms of their their power consumption yeah for sure well yeah this has been a real this has been good and i know there's so much more there john there's i mean we could spend probably 30 minutes just talking talking about all the different consumption models that vSphere is expanding to and uh and and so many other things around uh vSphere 8 whether it's on premises whether it's in the cloud or on the edge but uh we're going to leave it here for now uh Phelan, i want to thank you for joining us uh one place i know uh that people can go to to find more about vSphere is core.vmware.com uh 
Uh, that's where most of the good blogs that I read about, it's, it's the one I'm reading right now. There's a technical blog that I know you've contributed a lot to. Um, aside from yeah. that, Phelan, is there anything else that we want to share uh, in terms of where to go to find content around vSphere 8? Uh, no, not really. Core.vmware.com is probably your, your one-stop shop. I actually recently or yesterday just made a kind of a dedicated uh, vSphere 8 focus page there. So if you just go to core.vmware.com uh, slash vSphere, you'll see a vSphere 8 button. Um, you know, it's sparsely populated right now, but once the product releases, that's where you'll see everything that we will eventually put out for vSphere 8. Beautiful. Very nice. Phelan, thank you for joining us. And uh, man, open door invitation. Anytime you want to come back, man, appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks, Pete. All right. Well, that music tells me it's time to go. And so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at vmware.com. You can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice by searching Virtually Speaking Podcast. You can catch this in all episodes at vspeakingpodcast.com. Big thanks to Phelan for telling us all about vSphere 8. We're back next week, but until then, Bye for now.